Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Capitol Avenue in Hartford is a main artery, but did you know at one time that area was farmland? From farms to the backdrop of industries that powered our nation in wars, the neighborhood of Frog Hollow has changed again and again. Who were the people who settled here, and why were some able to leave while others could not? Author Susan Campbell explores those questions and fills in the history of a part of Hartford that many of us know little about in her book appropriately named Frog Hollow. Coming up, we'll hear from residents of this capital city neighborhood, and we want to hear from you. Did you or your family grow up in Frog Hollow? What memories or questions do you have today? You can join us, 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome back to the show Susan Campbell. You know her name, a longtime journalist, and now a freelance columnist for the Hartford Current. She's also a distinguished lecturer at the University of New Haven, and her new book, Frog Hollow, Stories from an American Neighborhood, we'll be talking about that for the full hour. Susan, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, I always take pleasure in learning about the history of Connecticut because I'm not from the state. And this is a good introduction uh, (laughs) to an area that I, like many people, have driven through time and time again. Maybe I've stopped in um, at a a coffee shop or gotten Jamaican food. Uh, But what drew you to wanting to focus so much of your time researching this neighborhood? It's a terrible story. Um, (laughs) When I worked full-time at The Current, I was frequently angry. And occasionally, I would not just pop off at someone, believe it or not, I would just take a walk. Just That's a good thing. Get out take and a walk. walk. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut and go walk. And I found that I found myself drawn to Frog Hollow more than Asylum Hill, the currents that's kind of on the boundaries of both. The Asylum Hill had too many stoplights and I needed to stomp without interruption. <laughs> so it was strictly, it was a good place to stomp off my mad, but I kept going back to it. Uh, some of your uh, uh, readership who are listening now know that you're from Missouri. Yep. This part of the city of Hartford, Frog Hollow, actually reminds you of <laughs> a town or Which city. Which makes no sense <laughs> so at all. That. Yeah. I will. It's that too is a weird story. Um, I'm from Southwest Missouri, and it, and the industry there was iron ore mining, which just ripped the land up and. The miners would come in and all the industry around it would come in and they would follow the vein to wherever. And the vein was pretty thick in Webb City Joplin area where I grew up. Um, And then as they played out the mines, they followed the vein out to Oklahoma and Kansas. Um, It left these little towns that were, this is not polite, but basically shells of what they'd once been. And uh, there were abandoned old brick factory buildings that, you know, were pigeon roosts and like two-story pigeon roosts in my hometown. And I was always drawn to those buildings because I always wondered what went on there. And I found myself as I was walking through Frog Hollow feeling this weird sense of home. It doesn't look, we don't have perfect sixes in <laughs> Missouri. We don't and have. These are the brick apartment the buildings. The brick apartment buildings that are so quintessential, Frog Hollow and, and a lot of other parts of Hartford. But I just kept coming back to it. And it wasn't just all the brick. It was the the abandoned buildings and the sense that something happened here, and I missed it. And so you wanted to tell that story. So how, we're in uh, 2019. When did you first begin researching this neighborhood? <laughs> 
1892. <laughs> um, um, I think I start, you know, there's never a definite beginning date for me when I have a longer project. It's more, oh, that's interesting. And I start a folder, a file. Sometimes it's just notes that I lose, and sometimes I actually legitimately type it into the computer. But it was before I left the current in 2012 where I just kept finding out things accidentally on the search for something else entirely. So I would say it's easily been nine years. Isn't that sad <laughs> that it took me that long? We know you put a lot of work into this book as readers uh, uh, take a, a look into it and see all the history. But let's start with just geography. I mentioned Capitol Ave, one of the main arteries. So when we're in the city of Hartford, where is Frog Hollow located and how big is it? So it's this is this is really imprecise, and it really depends on who you ask. But basically, it's uh, 17 acres that's bounded by roughly Capitol Avenue, um, Washington Street. Although there's some discussion that's too far down to New Britain Avenue, give or take. Trinity College is on the tail end of the southern end, out to, and this is where it gets weird because some people think that uh, parts of Parkville actually could be considered parts of Frog Hollow. Let's just say Pope Park. If you know Hartford at all, that's roughly the boundary you're looking at. Uh, when we think about Frog Hollow, uh, I know some people wonder, where did the name come from? So maybe we should start there. <laughs> okay, so I am willing to be proven wrong, but everything I read, a lot of when I first came here, I was drawn to the name too, and someone told me that was because of the French Canadians who moved into that area, and they did, but in fact, the name really reflected literal amphibians. Um, Willa Manic has nothing on Hartford for frog mm -hmm. stories, not that there was a time when everyone got awakened, but at the corner of Marsh and Broad, there were there was a large population of frogs. I think my next book will be Frogs of the Revolution, <laughs> <laughs> Frogs Roll, but it literally was frogs. Uh, you take us through some of the residents uh, uh, as early as the Babcock family, mm -hmm. and their property actually was located in an area that was uh, that had water. Can you tell us a little bit about them? It, uh, the Babcocks had a basically a 100-acre farm that ate up a large part of the Washington Street side of Frog Hollow. And um, the farm was basically run by um, Dolly Babcock because her husband was busy running a newspaper, American Mercury. And there was one point when they were digging a well and they hit water so quickly that the workers had to scramble out of the hole or else they would have been drowned. They, drowned. they lost tools. They lost everything. So it was this plentiful well that people made the paper. People wrote about this incredible well with water like morning. It sounds good. And it helped the family. Big time. The family did very well. The family was successful, not just with the newspaper, but also with their, their farm. So when we're driving around Frog Hollow, we'll come across Babcock, Babcock. Street. This is named after this family. Right. And I that was, again, when I was stomping through on my mat, I would see that name and figure it was probably a family, right? Putnam, probably a family. And yes, in fact, it was a really interesting family. Uh, because of the water, how did that then encourage this rise in industry in Frog Hollow? Industry follows the power, and at the time that would, would have been water. And so this amazing well basically said there's a lot of water here. Um, the Hog River, the Park River, former Park River, was this wonderful artery that various industrial giants could hook their machines up to. 
uh, industrial giants. Let's walk through some of those. I know on the show previously we've talked about Pope and his oh. bicycles, but also rifle uh, companies, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, sewing machines. So tell us a little bit about the people uh, that built these industries and the people that came to work for them. So it, the same way that um, when an immigrant family comes, they often bring other family members and then other people from their village from wherever. In the same way, one little industry starts, then another industry picks up. And the corridor along Capitol Avenue, which was also known as Rifle Lane, it's had like 15 different names, um, was where a lot of this started. And among the various things that, were, that came out of Frog Hollow, Sharp's Rifle, um, which both the North and the South used in the Civil War, which was a horrible event, but was very financially successful for anyone who was uh, a part of the Sharps Rifle Company. Um, widgets, machine parts, weed sewing machine, which rivaled Singer, um, and Colonel, um, Colonel Pope, who was just this fascinating person who um, wanted to sell his bicycle, which weighed a zillion tons and cost way too much for most people. So he brought one down from Boston where he lived on the train, got on it at, the, at Union's at the station, at the railroad, uh, railroad station, and rode it to Frog Hollow. By the time he got to the weed sewing machine where he wanted to convince people, hey, this would only take two more turns of the screw to build this as opposed to a sewing machine, he had a crowd of people following him. No one had ever seen this, a bicycle. So it made quite a, an entrance for him. Uh, I'm in the studio with me today is Susan Campbell, uh, author of this new book, Frog Hollow, Stories from an American Neighborhood. We're going to be learning about the history, but also hearing from people uh, who lived uh, and live today in Frog Hollow. You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. In your book, you wrote that Frog Hollow was kind of like Silicon Valley. That might be surprising uh, to people. <laughs> well, yeah, I think most people, if they think of Frog Hollow at all, if they don't have any personal connection to it, it's that place they drive through to get to work and then go back home. Um, but it was. It was where the great minds came. And again, industry brought, you know, one industry brought another industry. These amazing designers and engineers congregated, like, oh, you can try this. And, and this is not to discount the Colt factory at all. It was wonderful as well. But um, it really wasn't that different for, for a factory to build a sewing machine and then switch to bicycles and then switch to electric cars, which they did. So when we look at the perfect sixes and other uh, architecture that still remains in Frog Hollow, these were all built to house the workers mm -hmm. in these factories. Yeah, and actually, uh, Mr. Pope was an incredible, an incredible person in that he was not only brilliant and had a million ideas that he actually actually followed up on. He also thought that if his workers were happy, they would work better. And so they had wonderful lunchrooms in the factory. They had, um, he, he was responsible for a lot of the paved roads so that people could ride his bicycles and eventually his cars. And he knew that housing was a big part of a family's safety. So yeah, a lot of those perfect sixes had generations of factory workers. Uh, with uh, the rise in industry came the formation of labor unions, mm -hmm. uh, also the insurance industry. But uh, where was the insurance? Is where Asylum Hill is today? Yeah, more so. Not so much, but you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> the wealthier people live on the hill, and the rest of us live in the valley. That's kind of how it worked. Uh, again, uh, Susan Campbell is in studio with me as we talk about her new book, Frog Hollow. Uh, so when did industry then begin to decline? It began to decline in Frog Hollow, at least, after the turn of the last century for all kinds of reasons. There were perfect storms of uh, the, the growing suburbs and the ability to move 
more freely either with public transportation or new cars um, to the suburbs. <clears throat> and so a lot of the suburban towns started offering breaks to the big industries, and so they took those attractive That sounds breaks. familiar. Doesn't it? You know, that's the one thing I kept finding out about this book. Oh, my God, we've learned nothing. <laughs> We're still doing this. But uh, really, by 1910... 1915, 1920, at post-World War One, especially, mm-hmm. Frog Hollow was, was starting to be quiet. Uh, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to continue talking about Frog Hollow, Stories from American Neighborhood. It's the new book uh, from Susan Campbell. We're also going to hear from two women with connections to Frog Hollow. And if you remember this neighborhood, maybe you grew up there, you didn't think about all the history as you drive uh, to work, uh, you can join us too. The number 860-275-7266 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Susan Campbell writes in her new book, For most of Hartford commuters anxious to get to work, Frog Hollow is trash blowing on the streets and men hanging out on Park Street. If you're zipping by and only half paying attention, the place has a rundown feel. But this scrappy little plot of land has a history packed with innovation and technology birthed by wave after wave of immigrants. That's from Frog Hollow Stories from an American Neighborhood, written again by Susan Campbell, who's with me today in studio. Her book describes the people, but also the forces that have shaped the neighborhood to but to be what it is today. And coming up, we're going to hear from some longtime residents of Frog Hollow. And you can join us, too, the number 860-275-7266, or find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. So before the break, Susan, you were talking about uh, what led to the industry decline. And so by the 60s, what was left in Frog Hollow? When we think about all this housing that came up to support the workers, but when the workers left, uh, who remained? There were still some people who, um, in fact, I talked to a couple of families where they remained in Hartford even while they worked in the suburbs. That idea of the American dream with the little house and the white picket fence really didn't resonate with them. They loved their neighborhood. But you did have a significant egress of, of a lot of families who had worked in the factories. There were some um, uh, big changes that happened. One, the Park River was buried. Explain why that happened. Good question. (laughs) I'm still not entirely sure. Um, It was an engineering feat, um, and I I couldn't tell you why they did it. Uh, But meanwhile, uh, when we think about uh, all of this housing, you would think that, well, this is an opportunity uh, for a good quality living for residents. But that didn't actually happen because of policies uh, from the federal government on down. You've done a lot of reporting on redlining. So tell us what happened exactly. There were a series of things that happened and none of them good. Um, I'll just give you an example as far as redlining. Back in the 30s, um, the government was going to, just to boil it down, and this is in gross generalizations, the government was going to figure out for whom would mortgages be approved. And so they would send people through these neighborhoods who would just jot little notes down. And if they saw any person of color, they would make a note as this person may not pay back a mortgage, so we might not want to grant a mortgage in this particular neighborhood. Literally, it was that capricious. And over time, when people wanted to buy the perfect sixes, perhaps not rent them, they were denied mortgages for no good reason. 
And if you look at those maps, and Trinity College has done some fantastic work on this. If you look on the maps, the, the maps where it's color-coded for yes, right the mor- yes back the mortgages, you might want to think about it, oh, my God, don't. That absolutely is a reflection of the poverty in neighborhoods around Connecticut, Hartford, and, and specifically Frog Hollow today. Uh, so in the 60s and 70s, uh, who were the people that were living there, even if the the quality of the housing had um, deteriorated? Yeah, I, th- I think what happened was a lo- um, people who saw money in them, their hills were buying up those perfect sixes. They weren't necessarily maintaining them as they could have. So it was people who were still working in Hartford. Um, the, the racial demographics were changing over. But uh, again, I-, I was surprised to find that there were some people who just would not leave. This is my neighborhood. Uh, other policies that impacted uh, the neighborhood, uh, looking at the construction of highways, that uh, we're still talking about uh, I-84 right. cutting and through the city. It's one of those things where th- the highways were built for not all bad reasons, but the way they were constructed, they plowed through some of these vibrant neighborhoods for no good reason, other than to give suburbanites an easier shot into G. Fox. And in the same way, Park River, um, when it was buried, Park River was a sewer. It had been treated as a dumping ground by not only industries but the people who lived around it. There were we would probably we would definitely approach it in a different way now, other than just bury it. So you saw a lot of absentee landlords at oh, this time as well. Yeah, and some really creative um, protests against that, like take rats to someone's house and turn them loose in the yard. I believe there was one instance where people took rats to the person who owned. Um, perfect sixes and was letting them go. He also owned a restaurant, so they dropped some rats off there. I Mm -hmm. thought that was very creative. You can join our conversation. Did you grow up in Frog Hollow? Uh, The number 860-275-7266. A longtime resident of the Frog Hollow neighborhood is Alta Lash. She's joining us by phone. Alta, welcome to our show. Thank you, Lucy. Nice to be here. I understand Hello, you're. Hi, Alta. Uh, I understand, Alta, you're an exe- the executive director of United Connection Action for Neighborhoods. Uh, so, uh, very vested in the communities here. But let me let, let's hear a little bit more about uh, your memories growing up in Frog Hollow. Where did you live? Um, I grew up on Hamilton Street, 78 Hamilton Street, which is right near Pope Park. Um, and I grew up in the 50s and 60s, um, and the neighborhood was an immigrant neighborhood even at that point in time. My friends were Portuguese, uh, French, um, Irish, Polish, I mean, Armenian. It was a very diverse neighborhood even in the 60s and the 50s. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family's background, and as we hear Susan talking about the forces that changed the, the demographic, the dynamics, uh, what do you remember seeing? Um, well, my family um, originally came from Poland, my grandparents on both sides, and they moved, they moved to Pennsylvania coal mines. However, when the Depression hit, there was a migration to Hartford because there were jobs here. And that's how my family got to Hartford. That was uh, around, you know, the late 30s. And so that they settled in Hartford and stayed in Hartford. And when I I was born, I grew up in that neighborhood. I went to Immaculate Conception School, which is now Templo Fay. Um, I've just been very tied to the neighborhood since then. 
What do you remember about the neighborhood declining, again, because of absentee landlords, uh, the fact that uh, a lot of the jobs left? Uh, what do you remember seeing, and how did, how did residents respond? There was a very clear um, deterioration of buildings in the neighborhood. And initially, um, there was a, a large migration of Puerto Ricans from Play Hill and from directly from the island. And so there was, in most people's minds, a connection between those two events, the deterioration and the influx of Puerto Rican immigrants. Mm. However, uh, that was not by any means the whole picture. As Susan had mentioned, there has been in the influence of redlining for many years in that neighborhood and combined with blockbusting and, you know, real estate agents' um, influence on the neighborhoods. I remember when I was um, starting organizing, uh, real estate agents were sending postcards to people saying, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so moved into your neighborhood, and they were a racially mixed couple. It said, pay them a visit, and if you want to sell your house, we're there. And then real estate agents also began walking up and down the neighborhood and targeting, like, elderly folks, cutting their grass or things like that, and said, you know, oh, the neighborhood's not what it used to be. You know, if you want to get out, I'll give you a good price. We can sell your house, and you can, you know, move to a neighborhood with people like you. <laughs> and that was subtly was going on. At the same time, investors uh, through the banks started blockbusting. They would buy a house, like Lawrence Street is a perfect example, buy a house on Lawrence Street, move in people who they knew, they weren't screened, they just knew they would cause problems, and then they would go to the owners of the houses adjacent to that and lowball them an offer. And they were able to pick up, like, apartment building after apartment building uh, for that purpose. And needless to say, they didn't invest in the buildings. Uh, today on Where We Live, we're learning about the Frog Hollow neighborhood in the capital city. You can join us, 860-275-7266. Rita's calling from Stanford. Rita, I understand you grew up in Frog Hollow. Well, my parents grew up in Frog Hollow. Um, our family, our nuclear family, moved up to Foster Heights. But we all belong to St. Anne's Church, and so even though we didn't live in the neighborhood as I grew up, we attended St. Anne's School um, and had our, a very full parish life. Um, obviously, over the years, things changed. Uh, I was at St. Anne's through the 60s and 70s, and it was obvious that the demographic of the neighborhood was changing, but um, as previous callers have said, we were all friends. It was very walkable, uh, very friendly, very safe. Um, but gradually changing, and, and now it's, it's hardly recognizable as the place that, that I grew up in, and yet I'm excited to see new businesses and families again. Um, unfortunately, St. Anne's didn't survive even after they tried to uh, join parishes of Immaculate Conception and St. Anne's together to reach a dwindling French population, but increasing Puerto Rican and even Haitian um, so it's, it's near and dear to my heart 
uh, but it has changed dramatically in my lifetime. Uh, thank you for your call. Uh, Susan, she mentions uh, churches who really were uh, the foundation for some a lot of these communities having to consolidate because uh, population was declining, people were leaving for the burbs. Um, we had talked earlier about the quality of housing had deteriorated, and uh, many of the people that were left in Frog Hollow uh, were minorities. Uh, when things get bad, people get frustrated. Tell us about some of the other forces that changed uh, what was happening uh, on the streets of Frog Hollow, including gang activity. I, I think Alta can, can address gang activity even more so. She was there um, during that time as well. But I think, I think the frustration can't be discounted. And I'm sitting here listening to Alta talk about the, the, um, the not-so-subtle actions of some people to move people out of the neighborhood and to move people who would cause trouble into the neighborhood. And it was strictly a bottom-line situation. And it just is so sad because, as, as the previous caller said, the, the neighborhood has changed, but it didn't just happen that way. And, and to watch the forces, not of nature, um, walk in and try and destroy a neighborhood is really angering, <laughs> just mad. Alta, can you add to that, uh, remembering uh, when you saw uh, gang activity uh, growing uh, from the 70s and then roaring back in the 90s, how did the city respond? Uh, well, at that point in time, uh, we had in the Frog Hollow neighborhood the Latin Kings and Los Solitos. My street, Affleck Street, was a Los Solitos street. And unlike gang activity in most areas, one street was Latin Kings, and maybe around the corner or adjacent to it, it was the Los Solitos. So they were constantly bumping up against each other. And Affleck Street had a drive-by shooting at many streets in Frog Hollow. The federal government at this point in time, I mean, it was really bad. The federal government designated Hartford as one of 16 cities to receive special funding from the Department of Justice to attempt to deal with the violence and uh, the drug selling. And Hartford put together a program, the police department, uh, the city under Mayor Mike, and the neighborhoods called Comprehensive Communities Partnership. And it involved organizing every single neighborhood in Hartford, bringing the residents out to meetings where they would meet with the police department and with the city, uh, department heads, licenses and inspection, public works, whatever. And they also corralled all of the law enforcement agencies from the FBI, DEA, ATF, state's attorney, uh, the federal attorney, um, and they corralled everyone into a strategy of uh, analyzing it, what is actually happening. And the upshot of that was that the uh, there was a lot of investigation. The gang leaders were sentenced on RICO charges, racketeering charges, not drug charges. And they were charged in federal court, not state court. So in federal court, you served your full sentence. It wasn't like state court where they released people if they were overcrowded or you got off for good behavior or whatever. And so I think that really um, made a significant, significant difference in the level of gang activity in um Hartford. 
Um, after that, the neighborhood groups began to be able to reclaim the neighborhood. I mean, my street put up a community garden in an area where um, a house burnt down because of drug activity inside a boarded-up house. So it was a partnership that really led to the um, reclaiming of Hartford. And it was a very slow and gradual process. It involved institutions like Trinity College, Hartford Hospital. Uh, they put together a SINA at that point uh, to help deal with some of the housing problems right near their campuses. Um, it really was a partnership, and it, it lasted for a fairly decent length of time. Um, that's what I think was the most important thing in reclaiming the neighborhood. It wasn't just the police activity. It was the police activity combined with a multifaceted effort by the city department heads. Uh, Susan, in your book, you write about Operation Liberty. Uh, what were the lasting impacts of that and what exactly happened there? I think some of Operation Liberty, we would look at those tactics and say, ooh, I don't know about that. And it was almost a search and frisk. Um, but I do think, as, as Alta said, I think by focusing on the leaders of the gangs um, and, and, and focusing in federal courts, that the lasting impact was the neighborhoods. It allowed the neighbors in the neighborhoods to take back their blocks. Meanwhile, some of the people arrested and charged and, and convicted on on these uh, crimes still in jail today. And what's still the impact today. of that on, on families uh, that were in Frog Hollow mem who might be their members? Family, of the family members. That's a good question. And that would probably be a good follow up. I, I do want to say, though, that some of the people and I don't want to sound Pollyanna, but some of the people who were involved in gang activities at the time. Uh, reformed themselves. I don't know about the ones in prison, but um, actually became leaders in the community and, and also not just with outreach for children who might be vulnerable. This is where we live. Susan Campbell is with us. Her new book, Frog Hollow, Stories from an American Neighborhood. Uh, we just heard from Alta Lash, a longtime resident of Frog Hollow. And I wanted to bring into the conversation now uh, another uh, former business owner uh, who has roots in Frog Hollow, Leticia Coto. Welcome to our show. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, I understand you opened uh, your former business was La Paloma Sabanera Coffee House and Bookstore in the early 2000s. Uh, when I moved to Connecticut in 2006, La Paloma was a great place to go to understand the happenings in the capital city. Uh, but tell me about what was going on in the neighborhood in 2000 uh, that led you and your uh, your brother to open up this business. Um, our intentions were to open up a coffee house and bookstore with a focus on Spanish language books and coffee from Latin American countries. So we knew we wanted to be on Park Street or in the Frog Hollow neighborhood near Park Street. Um, we were intentional about um, identifying our customer base and with with the thought and the themes of, of the business itself. Um, so uh, we looked on Park Street because we really believed in the, the concept of um, having a small business that, um, that highlighted culture, highlighted literature, and highlighted um, those special things about the Latino community. And um, we looked on Park Street and were not able to find an open storefront or space for the business. And, and Capitol Avenue then ended up being the location that we chose. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, tell us about your family roots and what you remember about the Frog Hollow neighborhood even before you opened up the business. Um, we, I grew up in the north end of Hartford, and what I remember about Park Street is um, uh, a lot of the things that still happen to happen today with um, the families that live in the neighborhood. We, after church, we would go um, and eat in the restaurants at on Park Street. Um, Immaculate Conception Church was one of the churches that we frequented a lot. Uh, youth group meetings in the basement of that church, um, dance, youth, youth dances in the basement of that church, um, and just a lot of community, um, community work w- in parish life. So you guys were talking about parish life earlier. That was huge um, growing up. In, in Hartford with, in, on Park Street as well. I understand uh, you were also former branch manager of the Hartford Public Library Park branch that you also were engaging with the Frog Hollow Neighborhood Revitalization Group and um, you were able to talk with residents but what, what was their response to uh, you know, quality of life issues? How did they feel uh, City Hall was responding or not responding to them? Mm-hmm. So um, Working at the library, you get a lot of different perspectives, and, and I think that even today uh, we have residents who um, did care and still do care a lot about equity with um, education and housing and health care, and um, the library pr- provided that opportunity and the NRZ meetings and community meetings provided that opportunity for residents to be able to voice um, their concerns and their needs um, um, and what they wanted with the city. The NRZ brought together those constituents and people from the city to be able to listen to those voices. Um, but there was, yes, there was always concerns about safety, of light, um, house, housing, and like I said, education. Uh, Susan Campbell, when we uh, look at the residents of, of Frog Hollow today, uh, in, in your book, you profile some of them. Again, Frog Hollow, stories from an American neighborhood. Um, do they feel neglected today? I would say yes, but I would look to Leticia to say, am I right? I think that um, the residents in, in the Frog Hollow neighborhood, um, I wouldn't say that you know what? I, I wouldn't say that they, there's a mix. I would okay. say that there's a mix. I think that there are uh, conversations that occur, like I said, in community meetings. And, um, for example, the there's going to be a new park branch that's going to be opening on Park Street um, late 2020. And um, that's a project that's, a, you know, 20 years plus in the making. And um, in, in that history of community building and community advocacy. There have been many, many community members that have advocated for that project and are still and still live in Frog Hollow. So there's a mixture of residents who um, are connected and um, are civically engaged um, and and fight and fight hard for for their voices to be heard. Uh, we spoke a lot about uh, the out-migration from this neighborhood, Susan, but who's moving in there today? And maybe Leticia and Alta can also add to this. Uh, Leticia? So Alta um, and Susan did talk about, you know, a diverse neighborhood, and, and Frog Hollow still is very diverse. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Guatemalan families, a lot of uh, Dominican, Mexicans, de- definitely Puerto Ricans um, that, that uh, per- we've come across Peruvians, Colombians, and so 
um, and the businesses on the Park Street corridor um, reflect reflect that diversity. Alta, did you want to add to uh, how the the uh, community continues to change? Um, I think there the significant number of non Puerto Ricans um, is a, a more recent development. Um, Leticia is absolutely correct about the variety of uh, Latin American and South American cultures uh, on Park Street. Um, I think there's also an influx of uh, West, some West Indians, mm-hmm. uh, particularly closer to Trinity College. Um, and I've seen uh, people, you know, dressed in uh, Islamic clothing and uh, I see them on Broad Street. Uh, so I think it's a really, truly diverse area at this point, and that's one of the advantages mm. of the neighborhood. Susan, uh, that was uh, kind of the theme throughout the book is the, the classic immigrant story. People come uh, because of jobs or because of family connections. Um, some leave, but the, the churn is still there, yeah. and that's something that you still see as you walk uh, Frog Hollow streets today. Yeah, it's kind of cool, isn't it? You also have, um, and this is the, the numbers are still pretty low, but you have millennials who are looking for affordable housing, and housing is affordable in Frog Hollow, and they also want that city feel that they might not get in their suburban homes or even other neighborhoods in Hartford. So there's, it is quite mixed. Uh, we got a tweet from Sean uh, who writes, if we look back, many of us in Connecticut have roots in neighborhoods like Frog Hollow. Growing up in Waterbury, I didn't think I had a connection to Hartford. I was wrong. I have ancestors that lived on Broad Street and Ward Street. Places like Frog Hollow helped create the Connecticut we know today. Oh. <laughs> we're we're going to continue our uh, conversation after the break. I do want to thank Alta Lash for joining us, Executive Director of United Connection Action for Neighborhoods, or UCAN, and a longtime resident of Frog Hollow. Alta, thanks for your perspective. Thank you very much. Uh, Susan Campbell will stay with us, author of the new book, Frog Hollow Stories from an American Neighborhood. Also in studio with us, Leticia Coto, former owner of La Paloma Sabanera Coffee House and Bookstore, which was located in Frog Hollow. And we're going to hear from uh, some business owners today who see Capitol Avenue as a great place uh, uh, to open a shop. And you can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been learning about Frog Hollow today with Susan Campbell, whose new book focuses on this overlooked Hartford neighborhood. You can join us, too. I wanted to take a phone call. Billy from Middletown. Billy, what's your question? Hi. Um, I have uh, always loved the <clears throat> Frog Hollow neighborhood. I used to live in Hartford. I live in Middletown now, but I go into Hartford quite a bit. But I saw a TV show about urban renewal uh, in different cities around the country, and they were amazing. Some of the things they're doing, um, uh, you know, Baltimore and uh, Detroit and all these places, it's just incredible. And I was thinking, thinking that in Hartford, the Park uh, Street area, the Frog Hollow neighborhood would be perfect for a major urban renewal uh, plan. Is there any any kind of efforts going towards that? 
Good question, Billy. Uh, Sarah, uh, Susan, I'll go to you uh, mm-hmm. first before I take Sarah. Um, when we think about urban renewal and development, what that means for an area and what plans have happened uh, or have been talked about uh, in, in the city of Hartford that we know of. I think there's a lot of individual efforts. I don't know, and I'm looking to Leticia, I don't know that there's an overarching we're going to go in here. There, there are, there's pros and cons to that. Um, but I, yeah. I don't know that there's a huge plan. Yeah, it, not a huge plan uh, other than, you know, one of the biggest um, construction projects that will be happening on Park Street is is the new um, development of the Hartford Public Library Park Branch. And um, that that supports economic development, economic revitalization as well. When we talk about the pros and cons, so some of the cons, depending on um, development is good, but you don't want to push out uh, people, right. or you see rent going up. I mean, is that what we're talking about? Can you? And when we think about the pros and cons, so some of the cons, uh, development, people like to say is good, mm-hmm. but does that mean certain people could be pushed out or rents could go up? I mean, that can be the flip side of that. Yeah. So um, in terms of uh, when when I think about economic revitalization and, you know, small business owners coming into to the Frog Hollow neighborhood, um, it's about really looking at how how you're connecting to that community, right, and and who you want to bring in, or or how you're going to connect with the existing community that's already there, and how do you build community? And and I think that that works towards um, um, moving away from from development that will move people out. The the Frog Hollow and Park Street is a very lively neighborhood. Um, and I continue to talk about Park Street because it still is a walkable um, street. It still is a friendly street. Um, and so I think that there are perceptions that that kind of like um, uh, really uh, give it a bad name. And and in order to, to work towards revitalization, you, we need to look at um, the positives and and the assets that are in that neighborhood to to and build upon those. Mm. Susan, yeah. did you want to add? Yeah, I'm just I'm nodding and amening because um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And Park Street has historically been this incredible arterial for business, and it is now as well, and I wouldn't want to mess with that. Uh, joining us on the phone right now is Sarah McCoy, one of three owners of Story and Soil Coffee. It's a shop located in Frog Hollow right on Capitol Avenue. It's a good transition to our conversation. Sarah, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. So tell us about when you and your co-owners were thinking about opening up a coffee shop. Why Frog Hollow? Well, um, when my husband and I um, really sat down to um, to open the business, we knew we didn't want to be downtown. Um, we knew we wanted to be part of a community and part of a neighborhood. Um, and we checked out a couple of different neighborhoods and just felt like the space on Capitol Avenue was um, a manageable size for us and um, really pulled uh, – wouldn't rely on one type of customer. We have state workers. We have commuters. We have – the neighborhood residents, and um, and we always wanted to be, um, you know, that that kind of uh, place where the whole community would gather and, and converse and talk about what was going on. And how has the neighborhood responded to your presence on Capitol Ave? Um, overall, it's been very positive. We get um, a number of regulars who, you know, have have lived um, around the corner for for decades, and um, you know 
come to us as as part of their morning routine, and we love that. Um, but we also we get a good amount of people from the suburbs as a who make our stop. Uh, make our shop a destination. Sarah, we've we've uh, talked and heard a lot about the diversity found in Frog Hollow, and we're just wondering, uh, as you've uh, been open now uh, uh, for a while, uh, thinking about how you're mindful of that diversity and welcoming all people into your coffee shop. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that we think we think about a lot. Um, you know, coffee shops nationally have, I think, kind of a bad reputation for for gentrification and for coming into a neighborhood and all of a sudden um, the rent is too high. Um, and and that we were very mindful of that. So we've put a priority on hiring Hartford residents. We've um, uh, had a nonprofit come in to do race and equity training for our staff on, on how we can better meet the needs and, and serve. We're in the hospitality business and, and serve our community. Leticia Cotto, what's your reaction to uh, these new businesses on Capitol Ave, Story and Soil just being one of them? There's a Bami uh, shop. There's, uh, I think, Little River Restoratives, which was in the former location of La Paloma when it moved. I think it's exciting. Um, it's exciting that uh, small business owners are coming into Frog Hollow, Capitol Avenue, and, and really looking at, at the neighborhood to um, to bring a di- diversity um, and in doing so, it's also um, being intentional about um, not about connecting with um, other areas of Frog Hollow and 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 hiring people from the neighborhood, connecting with other businesses or um, agencies um, outside of Capitol Avenue, and extending that reach um, so that you can build those bridges. Um, between local residents and and people who are coming from outside of the city of Hartford, outside of the state, um, into the neighborhood. Uh, Sarah, as a business owner, what do you think the city should do to help uh, uh, people like yourself or other businesses, but also still connecting and respecting uh, the neighborhood and the people that live there? Oh, geez, I feel like that's a a big question. Um, The city um, does not necessarily make it easy to to find a, a clear path and a clear um, checklist of, of things you need to do to um, to open a business um, so you really have to be pretty industrious to to make sure all of your T's are crossed and I's are dotted um, so support for um, for the process I think would be um, really helpful and and I think every small business would also have to include funding mm. of, um, you know, it, it, you people will say that they like the city because of, of these small businesses and the culture that um, that is created from these small businesses. Yet the city um, doesn't support that in any real financial way. Um, at least that's been our experience. Um, and so, you know, we we pay our taxes and we we take care of our property um but it's not always uh easy to do that um yet we offer a great benefit to the community we feel well sarah mccloy again one of the three owners of story and soil coffee uh right on uh capitol ave in the frog hollow neighborhood thank you for joining us we appreciate it 
Thank you. Uh, Susan Campbell, we just have a couple of minutes left. Obviously, this book that you wrote, Frog Hollow, Stories from American Neighborhood, uh, filling in a lot of the history that we didn't know. But is part of your aim to raise awareness about how to support this neighborhood so that um, more buildings don't close and the people that live there have a good quality of life? You know, originally my aim was, oh, my gosh, these are cool stories. I want to share them. And then now it's become... The book ended up being a love letter to Hartford, which I didn't realize I wanted to write, but also a love letter to the notion that there are going to be people coming in who aren't like us, and they only make us stronger. Um, As far as Frog Hollow, maybe the answer is small businesses, millions and millions of small businesses. I don't know that industry's coming back, the big industries, but I do think that when individuals want to open these coffee shops, the dress shops, you name it, bakeries, then we can support them. Susan Campbell, again, author of the new book, Frog Hollow Stories from an American Neighborhood. You're going to be speaking about your book this evening at Barnes & Noble, Yukon Hartford Bookstore on Front Street. We're going to have more information on our website, wmpr.org slash where we live. Susan, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Lucy. And I want to thank Leticia Cotto also uh, for coming in, former owner of La Paloma Sabanera Coffee House and Bookstore, located in Frog Hollow, or was located, also former branch manager of the Hartford Public Library Park Branch. Leticia a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Thanks to Seth Blair on the phones. And uh, our technical producer is Kion Wolf. You can learn more about the show at wmpr.org slash where we live. This note, tomorrow we're going to talk about the value of a history education. It's important, right? We're going to talk about how the history we learn in school, also efforts by uh, African-American students and others, students of color in Connecticut, to require African-American and Latino studies in schools. And of course, we want to hear from you, too, that conversation tomorrow. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening.